Hey, welcome everyone. So good to have all of you at all of our churches today. And uh, before we get in our second week of our conversation, the Bible for grownups, I just want to say thank you so much as a church for being so generous this past week. Uh, because of your generosity, uh, we sent out a check for $15,000 to Convoy of Hope uh, to help out with Ukraine. Yep, you can celebrate that. Absolutely. And uh, we will be sending out another check this week to help out with Ukraine, um, the devastation that is happening there. Um, we'll be sending that as well to Convoy of Hope there on the ground. And if you would like to contribute to that contribution, uh, you can go to our website or our app. And I just want to say thank you in advance for being a church that is not just for our communities that we're in, but also for people throughout the world, no matter um, wh wh where they're at. Um, it's, it's just really good to know that we're part of a church that loves, you know, we're about being a Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the rest of the world, right? And that's what we're, we're commissioned to do. And so I thank you for being a church that's for um, if you haven't been with us, we are in our second week of our series entitled The Bible for Grownups. And as I told those of you that were with us last week, I am so excited to share this series with you because my prayer really is that you will learn to love and appreciate the Bible like you never have before, that you will see its value, that you'll be drawn to wanting to uh, read it and make it one of the most important documents that you read in your life instead of picking up everything else and listening to everything else, that this will be your go-to. Um, because I think we need this more than ever in our life. And so one of the things you need to understand, this series, The Bible for Grownups, is built on episode to episode, meaning that if you missed miss last week, uh, I really hope you'll go back and you'll watch on our app or our website or listen there so that you have the full context of where we have been and then where we're going or uh, what we're talking about in, in each uh, episode of, of this four-part series. Now, one of the reasons that I really feel like uh, that this is such an important series in this season is whether you grew up in church or you didn't grow up in church or whether you consider yourself a follower or a follower of Jesus or don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus or a church person or not a church person, while some of us know some of the stories from the Bible, most of us, we don't know the story of the Bible. No one's ever sat down and explained to us the backstory of how we got the Bible. And that is so crucial. And here's why we say that this is crucial. If you don't understand how we got the Bible, you'll misunderstand what's in the Bible. You'll misunderstand what the context of the scripture is. You won't misunderstand what it's saying. And therefore, there's a lot of misinterpretation and a lot of, of misinformation that comes out of the world that, out of the word that just messes people up. In fact, one of the things that we say is the backstory of the Bible is almost as important as what's in the Bible. And here's why we say that, because if you don't know the story of the Bible, it's easy to dismiss the stories in the Bible. Now, here again, here's why I bring this up. Most of us, we did not grow up respecting the Bible because we had actually read the Bible. See, a lot of us, we grew up reading and respecting the Bible or, or respecting the Bible, not necessarily reading it, because we were told you need to respect the Bible because it's God's holy word. But nobody told us the backstory of how this thing we call the Bible came to be. In fact, that's why some of you have struggled with your faith. Because the reality is you weren't given that information. And so whenever people came along and they created questions or doubts in your mind about the Bible, your only rational conclusion at which you could arrive was just to kind of walk away from it. In fact, 
Over the past few years, I've been involved in enough conversations with people just to understand, hey, here's why a lot of people have just walked away from their faith because they were confused about the Bible. And so we feel like this is a very, very important discussion because we don't want you to be confused about what God's word is all about and and what it means and why it means what it means. So it's important for us to understand the backstory of the Bible. Now, as I shared with you last week, when I got my first Bible, I was 12 years of age and I got it for my 12th birthday. And it was just like most of the Bibles that you have. It was chaptered and it was verse. And then there were the maps in the back and it was wrapped with genuine leather. And mine even had my name on it. And if you didn't get a Bible that had your name in it, don't, you didn't miss anything in the Bible by not having your name on the Bible, right? But, but here's the thing, all that's fine as a child. But as I said, nobody explained to us how we got the Bible. And that leads to a lot of misunderstanding. For example, if we did a survey and we asked people, where, where did the Bible come from? We, we would probably get hundreds of different answers from so many different people, right? Because there's a lot of ideas that are floating around about how we got the Bible. In fact, last week, we dispelled one of them, and some of you were absolutely surprised. I mean, it just absolutely amazed you, because some of you had never thought about that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they didn't have the Bible, You never thought about that people who were following Jesus, they never had any of the documents of the New Testament. It just, it was like, so the first, um, last week what we dispelled was this idea that the story of the Bible doesn't begin in the beginning of the Bible. The story of the Bible, as we understood, begins much later. The Bible as we have it today, which includes both the Old Testament and the New Testament, It wasn't even a thought in people's minds until this event in the early first century, which was the resurrection of Jesus, created such a flurry of activity that it led to eventually what came to be known as what we have today as the Bible. See, Christ followers in the first century, they never envisioned the Bible whenever they wrote about Jesus and his teaching. In fact, it wasn't even their goal, as we saw last week. It wasn't even on their radar, for example, when Luke was writing to Theopolis about the things that he saw that he had investigated in order to help Theophilus know of certainty that Jesus was who he says he was and did what he said he was. So the Bibles we have today, it was an after effect of something that was far more important, and that is the resurrection of Jesus. So this week... Let me go ahead and dispel one more of those ideas about the Bible that might surprise some of you. And that is this, Jesus didn't write the Bible. Not one single word. We have zero documents written by Jesus. But I want you to understand something. Jesus is the reason we have the Bible. Because the reality is, as we talked about last week, if the story of Jesus had ended with him dead on a Roman cross, nobody would have ever documented anything that we have in the New Testament about his life or about his teaching. So the only reason we have the Bible is because something extraordinary had happened and that caused many people to document the lies and the teachings of Jesus and that something was the resurrection of Jesus. See, what started the story of the Bible, what prompted and inspired people to write these accounts that we have in the New Testament of the Bible, it was the resurrection of Jesus. 
And you may ask, why is this so important to make? Why is this such an important point to camp out on at the beginning of the story of the Bible? Because I had some people during this week go, why don't you start here? Why don't you start there? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us why this is so important in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. In fact, here's what he says. You may want to write it down. And if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. See, the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our faith, and it is the catalyst for the Bible, for our teaching, for what we learn from God's word. The Apostle Paul wrote that himself. He says, if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Now, here's something else that's very important for you to remember, and that is this. Not long after the resurrection, the church began in the very city where Jesus was crucified. I want you to think about that. It didn't start 100 miles away in a place where there weren't any eyewitnesses and where there were no enemies. No, the church started right under the nose of the people who had killed Jesus a few weeks before. And then many people began documenting what had happened as a result of him being killed and him rising again. And the fact that we have multiple people documenting Jesus' life, I'm telling you folks, as we said last week, it is a much bigger deal than what most of us realize. See, we don't know how unusual it is, not that we don't just have one, two, three, but four accounts of Jesus' life. We don't have that kind of source documentation really for anything in ancient history. In fact, in most cases, we don't even have the original documentation for any ancient historical events. So we know things because a later document references a earlier document that no longer exists in most ancient historical events. But we actually have copies of these documents that we now call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about the life of Jesus. We have some of the actual copies. It's incredible when you think about that we have these copies of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And because the, of the integrity of these accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, from the very beginning, long before the Bible as we know it was formed, these documents here, they were considered valuable and reliable. They were considered sacred and inspired. But more than that, they were considered scripture. And these early Christians, they valued these accounts so much that they protected them all through the Roman persecution. In fact, as we mentioned last week, when the emperor Diocletian, he declared that anybody who was found with any of these documents, they would be killed after they watched their family be killed. And after that, hundreds of people, they risked and some even lost their lives to protect the copies they had. That's how important these documents were. And finally, the whole political situation kind of changed in Rome uh, around 324 AD. And that is when Constantine came along and he became the undisputed emperor of the empire. And he ended the persecution and he gave property back to the Christians and he allowed them to come out of their shadows. So what happened about that point in time is the Christian scholars, they begin to work in the open, which eventually led to the gathering and the assembling of documents that we now know as the Bible. So when you really think about it, the Bible as we know it wasn't even assembled yet until like the fourth century. But here's the thing, before we get ahead of ourselves, let's go back to the first century kind of a begin. 
So at the first century, you have all these eyewitnesses who shared the message of Jesus rising from the dead. And then you have the eyewitness accounts that they could start reading like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so what happened is Gentiles, they begin to follow Jesus by the tens of thousands. And then when that happened, something else took place that impacted how we got our Bibles as we have it today. And this may seem like totally um, unrelated when you really say, when you just see it at first glance, you might go, well, this is this kind of a totally unrelated topic, but I want you to hang there with me because we're gonna connect all of this for you at the end of this conversation today. So as these accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, they begin to spread and became widely available, they eventually begin to fall into the hands of non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. Now, here's the thing. Do you know what the biggest struggle that first, gen, first century Gentiles had in accepting the message of Jesus? And if you're a man, you might be sitting there thinking, maybe it was a circumcision thing. I don't know. But here's the thing. Here's what the biggest struggle the first century Gentiles had in accepting the message of Jesus. And that is the idea that there was one God. I mean, think about it. The Gentiles, they believed in many gods. Every nation had its gods. The Romans had their gods. The Greeks had their gods. They had numerous gods. In some cases, cities had gods. Families had gods. And then here comes along these Jesus followers, and they're telling these Gentile people, hey, there is only one God. And what most of us don't understand is this idea. It was completely new and novel. It was absolutely new idea. This whole idea that there was one God. But as these Gentiles begin to read and study these accounts of Jesus for themselves, they were just absolutely amazed by this man, Jesus. And so they began to believe and they began to follow him. But I don't want you to miss this. To this point in history, the Gentiles and the Jews, they had very little interest in each other. And the Gentiles had very little interest in the Jewish religion. Why? Because the Jews and the Gentiles, they kept themselves separated from each other. They, they did not associate with each other unless they just absolutely had to. But here's the thing you have to understand. When these Gentiles became interested in one particular Jew, Jesus of Nazareth, they also started to become interested in the older writings and the history of the Jews. Don't misunderstand this. They were not interested in Jewish scripture because they were interested in the Jewish religion of Judaism. No, they were only interested in these older scriptures or these older documents that we now know as the Old Testament because they discovered the Jewish scriptures contained the backstory to Jesus. And so they began reading them and they were amazed by what they found. They were dismayed to discover that the Jews believed in one God all along. The, the Romans and the Greeks and the Babylonians and the Egyptians, and they began to realize all these other cultures and all these other cults, they had it all wrong. I mean, this was nothing short of an entirely different, and to them, a, way, a brand new way of understanding the world, a, wor a way that made so much sense after listening to the teachings of Jesus and a way that pointed them to this man, Jesus, with whom they were so absolutely fascinated with. 
So I want you to look with me at what the Gentiles discovered when they opened the Jewish scripture for the very first time. What was so new and what was so compelling that they began to reorganize their lives based upon what they read. And the way we're gonna do that is if you have your Bibles, is go to the very first book, the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, and we're gonna be beginning in verse one. And notice what it says. In the beginning, God... Now, most of us, we read that and, and we don't see anything real significant about it. But if you're a first century Gentile and you're interested in Jesus and you've been hearing about this man, Jesus, and the teachings of Jesus, and he's saying that, that he is God and, and, they, and you're understanding that there's, he's saying there's only one God, and then all of a sudden you open these Jewish scriptures and it goes, in the beginning, God, not the gods, but God See, this idea of one God, it was a completely different way of understanding the world for the Gentiles. In fact, this was one of the reasons the Jews and the Christians were eventually snubbed and persecuted because nobody else, no other culture, no other society held to the idea that there was one God and only one God. They didn't hold to that. But the Jewish scripture, it clearly began with this idea of one God. God in the beginning, from the beginning. Now, some of you may know this, some of you may not, but Genesis was written by Moses. That's very important. We're gonna come back to that in just a moment. It was written by Moses. Many of you have heard about Moses. Maybe you've seen a movie about Moses. Something else you need to understand about Genesis, Genesis is a Greek word meaning origin because the Jews believed that in the beginning, God, one God, created the heavens and the earth. Now, I, I wanna take just a moment to address this idea of in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here's why I wanna address this idea. Because while the Gentiles had no problem with a creation story, a lot of people today who have a problem with the Bible, they have a problem with the creation account in Genesis. So let's talk about a couple facets of that. Over the past couple of centuries, there were some archeological findings that led certain academic scholars to suggest that Moses and the Jews, they borrowed their creation account from other creation accounts or other creation stories. In fact, what they found were, there were Egyptian and Sumerian and Canaanite and Babylonian creation texts that in their minds seemed similar. So what they concluded, well, the ancient Hebrew creation story isn't unique or it's not original and it's definitely not something they got from their God. They, they just borrowed these from other stories. So there's nothing unique and therefore there's nothing true about it. That was what some scholars said. Now, you may have been or you might be in the process right now in high school or college being taught something like that. But what you need to know is that view has largely been abandoned by scholars. They now recognize that Genesis does not borrow from any other creation stories. Matter of fact, Genesis stands in startling contrast to other, creation, other ancient creation stories. Genesis is a worldview unto itself. And it's a worldview that was way ahead of its time. In fact, 
The modern scientific community did not catch up with the first sentence in Genesis until 1927 when the Big Bang Theory was first introduced and scientists began to recognize that something started the universe. Until that point in time, people just assumed that the universe always existed. But now most scientists started to agree, know that the universe began in a moment specifically in one one trillionth of a second and it rapidly expanded. And the point of all that is, is that science now agrees that our universe, it had a beginning. And everything that has a beginning has a cause. Now, not everything has a beginning or a cause, but everything that has a beginning has a cause, which is exactly what Moses wrote. Now, here's the thing. Moses suggested that the one true God was the cause for the beginning. Now, you may not agree with that, but that's what we believe. We agree with Moses. But the point is, no longer, as the, the kind of the debate is no longer around whether there was a beginning, the debate is simply now around what was the cause. And we believe the cause was the one true God. Now, why does that matter? Well, if you have a problem with reconciling science with the Genesis creation account, you need to understand this. This is very important for you to understand. Moses was writing Genesis. Get this, don't miss this. Moses was writing Genesis for an audience of Jewish people who had just been freed from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Now, what was significant about the culture of Egypt? Well, they were just freed from a culture where there was the worship of many gods. Remember the 10 plagues when they were part of the, when, that God used to help the Exodus happen? So they, they were a culture of many, many gods. So Moses' goal in writing Genesis was not to explain in scientific detail how the world was created, but that one God created the world. He, he was trying to help these Jewish people renew their belief in the one true God and abandon all the Egyptian gods. And so he wrote the Hebrew creation story and it is in no way similar to the creation story of the Samaritans or the Egyptians or the Babylonians. And we're gonna see that in just a moment because all of these Egyptian stories, these Babylonians, these Samaritan stories, they had these wild, fantasy ideas or accounts of how their gods were at war. And as a result of that, the earth was created. But Moses simply wrote this, in the beginning, God, one true God created the heavens and the earth. And it was unique and it was different and it was distinct from all the other ancient beliefs. And then to set it even further apart, the other creations accounts, what they did is they relegated human beings to an afterthought of the gods. In other creation stories, human beings were created for one purpose and that was to serve the gods, that was it. Human beings were not a central figure in any of the other creation stories. Instead, they all were just built on violence and injustice. I mean, you, some of you study those accounts and, and when you compare these other creation stories with the Genesis stories, you find the teaching that many people are still struggling with and implementing today in their life because it is in such, such stark contrast. See, 
the, the Genesis creation story says this in chapter one, verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. So in the Genesis account, the creation of humans, it was not an afterthought of the story. It was the pinnacle of the story. Don't miss that. See, we were created in the image of God, in the image of the one true God, which means the dignity of all human beings, it was established from the very beginning. This idea of dig dignity of all human beings and value of all human beings, it was unheard of in ancient times. See, nobody believed that all human beings had equal value and equal dignity. This idea is unique to the Genesis account, but here's the thing, it gets even better and it just makes this worldview even more unique. Notice the next part. Here's what he says. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. And then he goes on over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the earth. In other words, you were not created to serve the whims of a lazy or angry God. No, you aren't gonna worship nature even like all the other religions did. No, he says, you're going to rule over nature. So what he says in the very beginning is that you've been created by God on purpose, for a purpose. He's given you responsibility. He's inviting you to lead in and to steward his creation. And then the next statement, I'm telling you, it should just blow you away, especially if you're a woman. And I know this may be oversimplified, simplistic, but the reality is I can't understand why every woman wouldn't be, want to be a Christ follower just because of this next statement here, and that is this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So even in the very beginning, God gave you ladies dignity in the world that the world is still trying to live up to. He put men and women on equal footing. He says you have equal dignity, you have equal value. And then Jesus showed up. And that's how he treated women. He treated women with dignity in a way that nobody had ever done before. See, humans are still struggling how to practice this well. But in the beginning, God created male and female with value and with dignity. He says, you're equal in value, you're equal in dignity. So when we read the Genesis account, and we get distracted by the scientific arguments around what did Moses mean here and what he said here, it really couldn't be accurate. No, you're missing the point. Moses was not a scientist. He was just a man in pursuit of helping people understand a truth. And the truth is that there is one God. And the truth that Moses explained and he wanted us to know is that God, the one true God, he created the world. And so what Moses did is Moses introduced a radically different unparalleled worldview. And it's the foundation for the worldview that we all hold and we aspire to live out. A worldview that is built on the belief that every person on the planet, every person, is made in the image of God. They have equal dignity, they have equal value, so we should be very careful how we treat them. Every person was created on purpose, with a purpose, so God values them and we should value them as well. And here's what happened. When these Gentile readers began to read the creation account, it made so much sense to them that 
now they begin to understand why Jesus would say, I want you to love one another. It even made sense to them at that point why Jesus would say, you need to love your enemies. I mean, after all, think about it this way. Jesus was God in human flesh. And every time I think about this, I get emotional. Think about this, because we miss this about the story of Jesus. And God, Jesus, he created everyone in his image. Imagine how Jesus walked around and how Jesus experienced people on the earth thinking, I created you and I created you and I created you. And so when he called Matthew, he wasn't looking at Matthew as a tax collector. He was looking at Matthew as someone he created and someone he loved. He wasn't looking at Thomas the way that everybody else looked at Thomas. He didn't look at Peter the way everybody else looked at Peter. No, Jesus, God in human flesh, he saw everyone as someone he created and they had value and they had dignity. Dignity. And see, that's why the apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter one, verse 16, he says, for in him, referring to Jesus, if you read the verses before, it sets up the context that he's talking about Jesus. For in him, Jesus, all things were created all things have been created through him and for him. Think about that statement. You, you were created by Jesus and you were created for Jesus. And think about the wow experience that would have been for every Gentile as they begin to realize that, oh wow, the one true God created me. Oh, and by the way, he was walking around in human flesh and that's how he saw me, with value and dignity. It's why he treated Jews, it's why he treated Gentiles, it's why he treated women, it's why he treated men, it's why he treated children, all the same. So these Gentiles, they, they were introduced at a new level to the one true God who loves and therefore chooses to save and redeem and never give up on anybody because he created everybody. And then it gave them this new understanding of why when humans try, chose to rebel, when we as humans chose to rebel, the God who created them and loved them and gave them a purpose for their life, he did the most unlike the other God's thing imaginable that other nations had created. He chose to reconcile the irreconcilable. He chose to love the unlovable. See, in the Genesis account, we find that we were made on purpose for a purpose and we were all introduced to it, or we're introduced to it in the very beginning. So let me just kind of take you back to where we started. See, these Gentile followers of Jesus, they began reading what was the Jewish scriptures, which is the law and the prophets, what we call the Old Testament of the Bible, because they were interested in the backstory of Jesus. And in the opening line of the Jewish scripture, which is now part of our Old Testament, they realize this incredible discovery that the Jews had known and had right all along. And that was this. The Jews had always believed there was one God and only one God. And that one true God created all human beings, male and female, Jew and Gentile, and everyone is created in his image. And the one true God loved human beings. And here's the thing. He'd given them a world to steward and he created them with dignity and purpose. And creator God, in order to be near his people and to save us from the mess that we created and the brokenness that we brought upon ourselves, he came to this earth in the person of Jesus. And when you think about it, and you read the story of Jesus, we read the story of Jesus in his humanity, but we also 
read the story of Jesus in his deity as creator. And for these first century Gentiles, I'm telling you, that was a new and it was a radical worldview. And I'm telling you, for some of you at some of our churches, this may be a new and radical worldview to you. And so you go, what do I do with this? Well, I would encourage you as we started last week, read through the Gospel of John over the 21 day period because you can read it in 21 days because there's 21 chapters or read all the Gospels before Easter this, this year. I would encourage you so that you see Jesus up close and personal. But I would encourage many of you to go and spend this week reading Genesis chapter one and chapter two, that I think that would be your next step. And, and, you, and you may be wondering like, hey, why? Well, let, let me just kind of help you understand. Read it in the context of what we just talked about, of, of being a first century Gentile who then opens up the Jewish scripture for the very first time. And you realize this Jesus who was with us was also our creator. And you go, wow, this is what he thinks of me. And, and if you have questions when you read it, that's okay. We'd be glad to help you work through any of those questions. We don't want anybody to walk away from faith because of questions about the book of Genesis. But what is important in chapter one of Genesis is that when Moses wrote this and what the first century followers are believed or were introduced to in the process, it still matters today that in the beginning, God created the earth and man and woman. And that from the beginning, God loved you every one of you. So don't you think you should just take like five minutes to read what was so meaningful and what was so beautiful to these first century Gentiles who were opening up their worldview of God at a whole nother level, something that was so precious to them that they gave up the worship of their gods and their culture's belief for something and a lifestyle that was completely different. Like open up the Genesis account today and, and read it for yourself because I'm telling you folks, there is so much more to this story and what's in the Bible when you understand the context of the Bible than what we were told as children. And so I'm just telling you, there's so much more to the backstory of the Bible and what it means to you and what it means to me as we understand the story of the Bible. Now, here's the thing. The story of the Bible, it doesn't end there. These early Christ followers, they adopted Genesis and the whole Jewish um, scripture as part of the backstory of Jesus, and they included it in the Bible. But it didn't happen without some really big struggles. And next week, in part three, we're gonna talk about some of those struggles that the Old Testament created for these new followers of Jesus and the tension that it created between the Jews and the Gentiles. So make sure that you join us next week for part three of the Bible for grownups. But here's the thing I wanna to say to all of you today. If you're with us today, and maybe for the very first time, you realize how much God loved you. Not just how much he loves you, but how much he loved you. So much that he created you and he died and he rose again. He came to this earth, he lived here, he died and he rose again for you so you could have a right relationship with him. I wanna give you the opportunity today to become his forgiven, beloved child. So that when you open up Genesis chapter one in the future, you begin to realize, wow, God created the earth and he gave me value and dignity. And then when you're reading the words of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of a sudden you begin to understand why Jesus said, hey, I want you to love one another as I've loved you. In fact, love your enemies. You'll understand that. 
because you'll understand the love of God because you understand his forgiveness and his grace. So in all of our uh, campuses, if you'll bow your heads with me, every one of you, if you'll bow your heads, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior, would you just open your heart up to him and just say this in your heart as I say this out loud, just say, Jesus, today, I realize from the very beginning of creation, you loved me. You, you, you created this world for me to enjoy, to steward, to rule over, to, to be a good steward of. You created with me, me with dignity and value, no matter what others have said to me. And then you loved me so much when everything got messed up in man's relationship with you through sin, including my sin. You came to this earth, you lived, you died, and you rose again. Because you love me. And I understand that even more because I realize now that you created me and you value your creation. So today I confess that I'm a sinner, I'm in need of a savior and ask you to come in my heart, forgive me of all my sin as my creator, savior, God. I'm choosing from this day forward to follow you. I'm excited with anticipation the journey I get to go on with you, not only as my savior, but my creator that created me with a purpose. And thank you that you understand me because I'm created in your image. So all these emotions, all these feelings, you're gonna know how to help me through the process. So thank you that you love me this much to make me your child. In Jesus' name, I'm eternally grateful. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer at any of our churches today, please let us know. You can let us know on that connect card. You can leave that connect card laying on your seat or you can get put in the giving boxes on your way out. Now, one other thing that I wanna say is because we feel like the understanding of the Bible is so important, on April the 2nd, we're gonna do a three-hour workshop, basically a survey of the Bible. We're gonna obviously give you some breaks in there. We're gonna give you some snacks and food, that kind of stuff to keep you um, engaged in the whole process. But basically, we're gonna give you a more in-depth survey of the Bible. There was a card on your seat and you can let us know if you're gonna be a part of that or not so that we can prepare for you. There's a QR code on the back. Please scan that and let us know if you're gonna be a part. Hey, have a great week as you learn to live in the love of your creator and savior, Jesus. We'll see you next Sunday.